right after Jesus' final words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew tells us that the crowds were astonished at Jesus' teaching that day. He was teaching, says Matthew, as one who had authority. There was the sense that the authority of the preacher was felt in every word of the Sermon on the Mount. And every word of the sermon impressed upon the hearts and minds of its hearers the authority of the preacher. It reminds me of what Paul said in his first letter to the Thessalonians. He says, for we know, dear brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel has come to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. That's what happens with the crowds that morning. The crowds were deeply impressed, not merely with Jesus's intellectual brilliance, although he was the smartest person ever to live. Not just with Jesus' magisterial ethical vision of life, or with his spiritual wisdom, but with Jesus himself, with his person, with his authority. I mean, one gets the sense by the end of the Sermon on the Mount that um, we are feeling the echoes of the foreshadows of the end of Matthew, where Jesus stands up before all the disciples and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it's that same risen Lord, that same risen Jesus who continues to speak to us here and now with authority through his sermon. The word for authority used here is exousia. Ex means out of or from the center of, and usia means being or reality. So to say that Jesus is one who speaks with authority is to say that Jesus is one who speaks out of being. Jesus speaks from the center of reality. He speaks reality. And it's because he speaks from the center of reality that his words hold weight and his words bring life and his words offer the direction that we human beings so desperately need to flourish. I think that's why the disciples on the boat in the Sea of Galilee found themselves filled with fear at the sound of his voice. Who then is this, they said, that even the wind and the waves obey him? And I think that's why Jesus ends his magnificent and magisterial Sermon on the Mount with a sober warning, which once again has to do with a storm. His words and his words alone are the only rock-solid foundation on which to build a human life. Nothing else will ultimately last, says Jesus. Nothing else will stand the test of the storms and everything else will eventually come crashing down. It's a sober warning. Yet once again, Jesus gives warnings because he loves us. He wants to tell us the truth about himself and about ourselves. So Jesus says this starting in verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a person, a wise person who built their house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person who builds his house in sand. The rains come, the streams rise, the winds blow and beat against that house, just like the wise person. Yet for the foolish person, that house falls with a great crash. 
And reflecting upon Jesus' final words of his great sermon this morning, I want to ask three questions. Am I listening to Jesus' voice? That's the first question. The second is, where in my life am I hearing Jesus' voice, but not doing what he says? And the third question is, where is this reluctance coming from? So am I listening to Jesus' voice? It's interesting that in Jesus' story, it is simply assumed that both people, the wise and the foolish, are listening to Jesus. They are hearing his words. So the picture that we're given is that the distinction Jesus is making between the wise and the foolish person is not between a Christian and a non-Christian in this instance, but between two people who both claim and seek to be Christians. They have in common, we could maybe extrapolate imaginatively. They have in common the fact that they both go to church. They both read and study Holy Scripture. They both listen to sermons and delight in podcasts and read many books. They both ask and seek and knock, and they want to hear Jesus' voice. And so I think this simple observation seems to raise a searching question. Am I listening to Jesus' voice? <laughs> because Jesus seems to just assume it's the case here. And like, where in my life am I not even trying to listen to Jesus' voice? And where in my life may I think that I'm listening to Jesus' voice, but maybe actually listening to the voice of a false prophet? You see, according to the Old Testament, and Jesus picks up on it here in his sermon as well, false prophets say a couple of things. They tend to say peace, peace to people and communities when there is no peace. It's a message of false hope. And false prophets also seem to offer a false means of peace, either some sort of avoidance or some sort of violence. And according to Jesus, false prophets are a really deceptive bunch. They are wolves that come in sheep's clothing. So they seem to come quite gentle. They seem to come quite demure. They seem to come quite gracious. And it's hard to spot them often in your midst. And yet Jesus doesn't want us to have no hope. He says they actually can be recognized. They will be recognized by their fruits, by what their lives produce in thought, words, and deeds, and by what their lives encourage in others. Do they produce the fruit of the Spirit is an obvious question to ask. Do they produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? Do they encourage these things in those who listen to their voice? Or do they produce a different set of fruits? I mean, I think uh, offhand of the envy and jealousy that is so often produced by the voices on social media. Or I think of the fear and anger that is so often produced on the voices on the news feeds. Or I think of the anxiety and the stress that is so often produced in the voices of our inboxes. Whose voice am I listening to? And am I even trying to listen to Jesus' voice? I think is one of the first questions we're faced with. And it's important for us, I think, in the midst of an intense season in our nation and in our church and in our own lives to ask that question afresh. I mean, I'm struck by the historical precedent of this. I mean, think, I think back to when Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth were tasked with the responsibility of writing a statement of faith for the Confessing Church. In the midst of the rise of the Third Reich in Germany, I'm not saying we're exactly in the same time period here, just trying to comparison. 
But I mean, imagine how confusing that season must have felt for your average Christian and your average church. Imagine the competing voices swirling in the cultural air of that moment. How indeed was the individual Christian, let alone the whole church, called to navigate the complexities and crises of that moment? And one begins to read the Barmine Declaration, as it came to be called. What astonishes is not its complexity and its brilliance, but its absolute simplicity and razor-sharp focus. It begins like this. Jesus Christ, as he is attested to us in Holy Scripture, is the one, notice that word, the one word of God whom we have to hear and whom we have to trust and whom we have to obey in life and in death. I'm just amazed that for Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth, there was this crystal clarity in the midst of the confusion of the day. There's only one voice that we have to hear. All other voices we may need to hear or we may choose to hear, but there's only one voice we have to hear. Are we listening to that voice? The second question that seems to be impressed upon my heart by Jesus is where in my, in my life am I hearing Jesus' voice or listening to his voice, but not then doing what he is saying? Notice the verbs in Jesus' story. Wisdom, or the wise person, is described as someone who hears and does. The foolish person is described as somebody who hears without doing. Hearing and doing leads to a stable life in the midst of the storm, says Jesus, but hearing without doing leads to absolute collapse in the storm. Both people experience the storm, says Jesus. No one is spared from the storms of life. I mean, I'm reminded of James, the brother of Jesus, his words, consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, not if, but when. And I wonder if James, the brother of Jesus, had Jesus's words echoing in his mind here when he said those things. Jesus says the rain will come, the streams will rise, the wind will blow, and it's going to beat against your house. Life is not going to be easy. (laughs) You're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted. You're going to experience crisis and calamity at some point. And what Jesus says to his followers is that his words are not there to protect you from the storms of life. His words are there to protect you and stabilize you in the midst of those storms. Now, as human beings, I think we have this innate longing for stability, protection. Like we are made to thrive with a sense of safety that stability brings. And yet we find ourselves in a season where we continue to realize that maybe we are not as stable as we thought we were. As individuals, I've experienced this in my own life. As families, as a community, as a nation. Maybe we find ourselves not as stable as we thought we were. And in the midst of it, we're grasping for an anchor. We're grasping for a plumb line, for a place to stand, for some solid ground from which to navigate the storm and the shifting sands. And Jesus speaks to us this morning, and he says very clearly to us, there is no stability in your life outside of hearing and doing my voice, at least no stability that will last. 
And so we're left with this searching question, like where in my life am I hearing Jesus' voice but not doing what he says? And in what part of my life am I having the hardest time genuinely following Jesus right now? I mean, I think a good exercise that the end of our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount would be to do this. Simply sit with the sermon and read through it again. It only takes like 18 minutes or something. And ask the Holy Spirit what truths, commands, encouragements, or invitations are for me today in this season, and how shall I respond? I mean, I think of, for myself personally, Jesus saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And I think, Lord, what areas in my life, what relationships are not right, and I need to hunger and thirst for righteousness? I think, blessed are the peacemakers. And I think, Lord, where is there not peace in our world? And how are you calling me to be a peacemaker in those places? I think of Jesus saying, if you sense that you're angry or you have something against your brother and sister and you're at the altar, stop your act of worship and go to your brother and sister and be reconciled first. And I think, Lord, where in my heart am I harboring anger or resentment or cynicism towards a brother or sister? And I need to make actions and movements to be reconciled. I hear Jesus say, if you even look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And I swear is there lust that you want to discipline and that you want to uproot in my life. And the list can go on. And I think Jesus wants to invite us into that place of hearing afresh, but not just hearing, of honestly wanting to obey and wanting to do his voice. So where in my life am I hearing the voice of Jesus? And where is he inviting me to do it? And the final question I have is, in those places where I have a tough time doing the voice of Jesus, where is the reluctance coming from? Where is the reluctance coming from? For some of us, it may be an authority issue. I mean, we struggle with authority as human beings (laughs) post-fall. We like to be our own lords, march to our own drummers. But I think we also struggle with authority as as those that pride ourselves on on being really competent, as seeming to know how to navigate the ways of life. Because to listen to authority seems to assume that we don't know everything and we don't have it all figured out. I'm struck by the fact that in an age that is increasingly cynical about any claims to authority, and in an age that is increasingly skeptical of the possibility that any power can actually be used for genuine good in the world, Jesus is calling us to acknowledge afresh his authority and the goodness of that authority for our lives. It is the only thing in the storm that brings genuine stability and protection. See, Jesus speaks from the center of reality. He speaks reality, not as a distant, abstract, cosmic force, but as a very present and personal help in times of trouble. Jesus is present to us. Jesus is speaking, and he is telling us what is really real, and he's inviting us to build our lives on nothing less than reality. For some of us, it may be the issue of authority creates a reluctance in us. But for others of us, it may be an issue of fear. Maybe I fear Jesus' words will lead me somewhere I don't want to go. (laughs) 
Maybe I fear that Jesus' words will lead me into a relational process that I do not want to experience. Maybe I fear that Jesus' words will lead me into an area of life or of the world or of some brokenness that I would much rather avoid. I mean, taking Jesus' words about anger and reconciliation or about lust and fidelity seriously is not going to be easy. But my brothers and sisters, I wonder if in the midst of the crisis and the kind of chaos and the confusion and the competing voices of this season, if, if this is not the simple thing that Jesus wants to call us back to, is that to be a Christian is nothing less than to want to hear Jesus' voice and to build our lives on nothing other than what he tells us is real. And I wonder if by the providential goodness and grace of God, if we do that, that one day we as a church would look back on this season with profound gratitude. Not that it was easy. Not that we were spared the hard work of endurance and patience and relationship and forgiveness. Not that we didn't have to know trials and temptations but that we return to our first love. That we cast our eyes again upon Jesus. That we trained our hearts to discern his loving and wise voice. That we weaned our souls from the false prophets and the false hopes and the false solutions that are being offered to us. This is the Christian life. The only way forward is to listen again and then to trust to hear afresh and then to obey, to discern anew and then to act, believing that Jesus speaks as one who has authority. He speaks what is really real. So my brothers and sisters, it's my great delight this morning to invite you back into the Christian life. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be with you. That's where I want us as a church to be. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.